And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It is Wednesday. Wednesday means Bruce Anderson. Wednesday means smoke, mirrors, and the truth. And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. Bruce Anderson is uh, with us remotely. He's here. Um, You're afraid to say where I am because you know I'm somewhere warm. Let's just leave it at that and have our conversation. He is somewhere warm. And uh, I'm not afraid to say it. I'm just kind of like jealous to say it. All right. You know, you 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 pick the, the, the week or two in the Canadian winter. I guess this is what you're supposed to do. If you're going to go south, you, you don't want it to be like warm in, in at home. Well, sure as hell doesn't warm. It is cold. It's been cold. It's a little better today, but man, last week was brutal. Um, you know, I mean, so it was winter and it is Canada and that's what's supposed to happen. And it did. But, you know, you got your fingers in the ocean. That's not our fingers. You got your toes in the ocean. You can't bend <laughs> over anymore. Bitter. You're Let's too old to bend it. over. <laughs> Don't sound bitter. Let's just get on with it. Okay, here's here's how we're going to get on to it. Um, you know, we got lots of ground to cover today. We got some stuff about the CBC. We got some stuff about healthcare. But I want to start actually with with this. You know, for for years, and I think I can go back to even the Nixon years that that far back. Whenever there was a State of the Union address by an American president. Some of us would sit here watching and going, is he ever going to mention Canada? As if, like, <laughs> he's supposed to mention Canada in a State of the Union address. But sometimes they would, depending on the times and what the issues were. So it gets to last night, and it's, is he ever going to mention Canada? I wonder if he'll mention Canada. How would he mention Canada? Well, the closest he got to actually saying the word Canada was, at least from my recall, was using the the Canadian uh, word, when he was talking actually about climate change, saying, you know, we've seen the effects right up to the Canadian border, like it stops there, right? <laughs> but anyway, he, he, he did use it, so there, there, was, uh, there was one for, for Canada. Um, but, you know, it, it, in some ways it's so, I don't know, provincial of us, I guess, looking for that. Not all Canadians do. They watch it as for what it's what it is. It's a state of the American Union, and and what is that state? And so we'll, we we can discuss that in a second. The other thing that came close to it, without ever saying Canada, was when he did his rant about buy American, and how everything, as far as he was concerned, had to be made in the states, whether it was lumber or you know, metal or steel or nails or hammers or whatever, that it had to come from the States. So if you're looking for that speech from the Canadian angle, and we'll get into the performative stuff because it was fascinating last night, but if you were looking at that speech from the Canadian angle, should you be disappointed? Should you say, hey, that's an American night, let them do their thing? Why should we be involved in any fashion? Or were there were there red flags there in some of the stuff he was saying? Well, uh, uh, let me start with a confession. 
Uh, <laughs> you didn't watch it. Okay, it, moving it, on. <laughs> no, I followed it, uh, but I followed it in the way that you follow some things these days, not the way that you obviously did, which is like sitting with your cup of tea in your hand, perched on the edge of your couch, waiting for the big mention of Canada. I didn't do that. I didn't do anything that was even remotely like that. Uh, and generally, um, and I don't think that back to Richard Nixon, they were like, where should we fit in the mention of Canada? And uh, <laughs> in what particular context? So it's been a long, lonely and frequently disappointing wait, I think, for those kinds of mentions. But here's what I would take from the the quote that you referred to. Uh, two things. The one is that I think that those speeches are absolutely almost 100 percent intended just for American partisan audiences. And so the language, the vernacular, the, the, the politics that are in them have almost become more and more Americanized, if you like, uh, over recent years, I think. They're less about the state of the world and the state of the U.S. Union within it. They're more about the state of politics within the U.S. Uh, domestically. Um, and so I I feel like when I'm watching them, I'm less tuning into a globally important event and more tuning into the latest chapter in the messy saga of U.S. democracy playing out. And I think that we're going to come to that part of it. There was quite a bit of that last night. But the second thing on the whole Made in America thing is that if there had not been any significant movement uh, within the Biden administration over the last couple of years on the definition of by American, which is really in many cases by North American or by from our allies, uh, then we would have reason to be concerned. And it's always good to be vigilant. But I do think that this whole reshoring phenomena um, is now understood by the Democrats as being something that is meant to take those production choices from somewhere distant and generally hostile to somewhere closer and generally allied. And so in that sense, it actually could be more advantageous for Canada, the more that America thinks in those terms and the more that American policy is, is tilted towards that. Okay. I can buy that. I can see that. I mean, you know, time will tell as they say, uh, and we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there there are very few times um, that uh, that other countries get mentioned. Um, I think perhaps the one that would stood out the most was following 9/11, where uh, Bush Jr. made a point of of recognizing the countries that were lined up uh, yes. with the United States, and uh, you know, including uh, including Canada. But there have been other times when there have been world events where we felt slighted because we weren't in the list of countries um, that were mentioned. But uh, you know, <laughs> these things pass. I think it's more of a media game than it is um, uh, anything else. But let's get to the actual. Imagine, imagine how all the other countries in the world must feel if we feel that a little bit, because <laughs> most of them. I don't think they care. SWAT. Fair enough. Fair enough. Someone you know, would. Yeah. You know, it is a kind of a Canadian thing. You know, we're sleeping next to the elephant. We'd like the elephant to occasionally, you know, acknowledge that we're uh, that we're up here and doing our thing, and sometimes <laughs> helping them do theirs. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. He did mention, uh, not in the speech, but earlier in the day, who talked about Canada and the balloon thing, which is. <laughs> 
that balloon thing is like, I don't know. Anyway, moving on um, to the actual speech, because I thought, you know, I, I actually did watch it because I wasn't down at the beach barbecue doing the thing under the, the bar. Or what is that? What's that? Limbo. 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 I would like to see that though. I, I got, I, I can remember doing that in uh, Jamaica in, I don't know, it was a long time ago, <laughs> 50 years ago, and I could bend like that. Um, anyway, um, when the speech started, I thought, oh, no, it's like this can be a normal Biden speech. He's going to butcher it. You know, he was stumbling and, and stuff through the opening minutes. And you went, oh, no, this is going to be painful to, to watch, and it's just going to play into the Republican hands. But actually, it it almost immediately turned around. Why did it turn around? Because he got heckled. He got heckled. And it was like there was a switch inside him that went, great, this is exactly what I hope would happen. This gives me a chance to, to play. And you, you can be sure that they sat in the... In in the uh, in the Oval Office with his advisors, in the days leading up to the speech, going, okay, what if they heckle this? What if they heckle that? Because heckling is now a part of that thing. Ever since somebody screamed out and called Obama a liar, um, so he was ready and he, he turned it on them, and it's now being kind of trumpeted as one of one of his best speeches and one of the best moments for the for that party. You know these things don't always last very long, but nevertheless, it, it it's being seen as a good night uh, for Biden because he was able to turn the tables on them and made them look kind of boorish and bullyish, and and he he slapped them around. He had a pretty good, he looked like he was having a great time. It took him, I don't know, half an hour to actually leave the room at the end of it. You know, there's usually a kind of a sprinkling of shaking hands and you get out the door and that's it. He stayed. I shook hands with just about everybody who was there and took selfies and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. You you didn't see it, but you've read about it. But I watched those clips. You watched those clips. So tell Look, me. Look, I think that there's, there's a bit of a risk of us marking him on a curve which is based on our expectations of how poorly he's going to do. But isn't that, uh, all, isn't that the way it always goes in politics? Is the, yeah. the expectation curve? Well, yes, yeah. But I, I do think that um, I, you and I have watched American politics for a long time, and we've watched Biden for a long time. And there was a time when Biden was a pretty stylish, cogent, forceful speaker. And... He's more rarely that now. Um, I don't know what combination of things is making uh, it harder for him to do that, uh, but you see flashes of it now, but you see a lot of other stuff too. Um, and so I don't want to overstate how uh, how kind of eloquent and, and stylish his takedown of the Republicans was, but I do agree that he had a moment of strategic and tactical success in that speech last night that perhaps nobody saw coming. And the question in my mind is how much of it was uh, thought out in advance um, versus made up on the moment. I think the general kind of context for watching these things, to your point about heckling, 
is that they look less and less like a, a kind of a meeting of the most august uh, political body in democracy in the world and more like a mud wrestling uh, match, <laughs> right? They're, the interventions are sloppy and hackneyed heckles, um, mostly from people who don't, at least for me anyway, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts don't command a lot of respect. What they're usually talking about is uh, is pretty far off fact, and it's pretty far off mainstream uh, propositions in politics. But so so the venue and the and the show has become a kind of a messier spectacle and a, a disappointment in that sense as a as a way of understanding where American democracy has come to. However, the thing that he did last night that was really quite um, quite successful is that he created a dynamic where the Republicans were forced to deny his assertion that they wanted to eventually sunset um, Medicare and Social Security. By saying that some of them wanted to, he caused the others who don't want to and feel vulnerable to, especially older voters, kind of hearing that, to say, no, 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 that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so he then turned that into a situation where ultimately he said, let's stand there for older Americans. Let's back them up. Let's protect them with these programs. They paid for these programs all of their lives. And lo and behold, uh, Kevin McCarthy stands up and applauds behind him. And so all of the other Republicans in the room do the same thing. So that's a that was a pretty powerful political tactic. And I I want to read some stories, some good journalism about it in the next 24, 48 hours to know just how much that was a, a product of calculation. If I do this, they'll respond this way. And if they do, then I can take it to the next level and get them all standing up and cheering for my assertion that we should protect these two programs. If it was a, a plan, it was a brilliant plan. If he improvised it in the moment, it was brilliant and drawing on the decades of great experience that he has as a politician, as a, as a legislature, legislator, and it, in a way, as sloppy and mud wrestly as it looked relative to the older version of these things, um, it was probably the highlight of the evening. I, I, I'm convinced it was planned. At least that the, the, they were prepped to deal with it if it happened, and they and the fact is, you could predict there was going to be heckling. There was no question, with especially that particular group of Republicans, um, mm -hmm. you knew they weren't going to just sit there. I mean, yep. Marjorie Taylor Greene was all was all dressed up for, to be wearing a mink coat or something like that. Well, whatever it was, it was easy to spot with the cameras. So she knew what she was doing, uh, in 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 terms of. Uh, I guess that's right. That would have been the, being uh, in the position, and 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 they must have known. Okay, this is probably going to this will bait them, and the whole thing on, you know, ending Medicare and Social Security was definitely going to bait them. It's a pretty good internal fight that's going on in there with a minority of their party, but it nevertheless is happening. So uh, let me ask you a question. Um, because you did sit there with your cup of tea watching the whole thing. <laughs> I, when I open up my Twitter machine to kind of consume what people were saying about it, 
every second comment was either this is the crappiest speech I've ever seen or this is genius. And I was like, I don't get it. Um, well, I get what? it. We, we, were li- we were living in a polarized world, especially in that in that I know, but who is tiny right? spectrum of Twitter. I don't know. You know, who is right? It doesn't matter. Two days from now, everybody will have moved on and forgotten what fair, happened. Fair, but, but in, in, in the moment, I think both sides take their, you know, the that element of the Republican Party will be proud of their, their Marjorie Taylor Greens and the rest of them who were heckling and calling them names. And the, the majority of the Democratic Party, there won't be any divisions in there. They'll be ecstatic. They'll be just lapping it up and trying to use it for whatever purpose they can for the limited time they'll be able to do that. The most uncomfortable person in the room, it wasn't Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think she was like she was happy uh, that she'd had her moment and she'd, you know, planned it and got it. The most uncomfortable person in the room was uh, Kevin McCarthy. He looked like he didn't know which way was up. He certainly didn't know when he should get up or shouldn't get up, when he should clap or shouldn't clap. And he was kind of looking around the room to see at different times whether other members of his party were clapping and therefore should he. And I mean, he just looked totally uncomfortable. He looked very comfortable at the beginning. And uh, they actually looked like they liked each other, Biden and him. I don't, I don't think that's the case, but nevertheless, they, they looked that way. And you thought, oh, well, you know, maybe this is going to be all right. Maybe there's going to be some sense of everybody's going to get along here, but... That didn't happen. Um, okay. We're going to... Uh, you want to move on? I want to Are we going to talk about that Liz Trust interview, or is that for another day maybe down the road when we do the kind of the worst ever political comeback interviews that we've ever seen? We can do that another day. We can do that another day. All right. Because you know what? I haven't seen it yet, among other okay. things. But I do think oh. we should, you know, yesterday... Justin Trudeau arrives at the table, as expected, with this huge bag of money, $196 billion or whatever it was, a couple hundred billion dollars, plunks it on the table with the premiers. Funny little table. I don't know whether you saw the pictures, but it just looked like dinky. You know, here's a meeting of the all the first ministers in Canada, and, you know, they're crammed together in this little table. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about how we're going to cut the Got up the cash here. You're such a TV guy. Well, I don't like the pictures. <laughs> don't like the pictures. That's right. Anyway, they did their thing. And, gee, what a surprise. Premier said, well, thank you for the money, but it's, you know what? It's not enough. It's a good down payment on the problem. Now, nobody got up and walked out. Nobody said, I won't take that money. Um, so, I, I don't know. I kind of look at yesterday and think okay that's a good first step in the process you know they're they're heading towards some kind of a deal and i think he i think trudeau has a deal in his back pocket somewhere whether it's with doug ford or whoever it needs to be with a heavyweight um to kind of put the pressure on the rest but if you're looking at that yesterday's meeting is okay it was that were all were those signs positive are we heading towards something here that is going to take a lot of the pressure off this problem or is it just another day where we're everybody's going to be against each other and nothing's going to get resolved what what did you think of what we saw 
I think it's going to change the politics a little bit. I think the jury's going to be out on how much it's going to affect the delivery of health care. Um, that's going to take a long time to figure out. I think it'll change the politics because, um, you know, for the premiers to say, well, um, okay, uh, thanks for that, but it's not enough. If you measure that against the the alternative scenario, which is Justin Trudeau is the devil incarnate, which was the other way that that meeting could have ended. Um, that's as close as you're going to get to a home run in terms of the uh, the nature and the tone of the federal provincial conversation around funding. And I noticed that uh, one or two of them may have mentioned it as, a, well, it's a down payment on the future, that kind of thing, which means that they're reserving the right to kind of have at the federal government again in search of more funding. Um, but that... It can't immediately happen um, because they've all kind of indicated that this is something short of a complete disaster. Um, and I guess the next step is that the health minister is going to send letters to the provinces today asking if they agree with the basic design of the program. And so then it'll be up to them as individuals. Now, there is an element of... Um, I don't want to say cleverness, because I actually think that the design of what the federal government is trying to do is probably the right design in part. Uh, what they're saying is that we're going to provide a significant boost to the kind of funding that we know is needed and that the provinces are either unwilling or unable to collect on, a, on their own. Um, and then we're going to reserve a significant amount of money that is going to be uh, available for us to work on bilateral deals with individual provinces that deal with specific issues that matter to uh, those provinces and that matter to the federal government. And so that gives the federal government an opportunity to um, to obviously establish some action on priorities that the federal go government observes and to hold the provinces to account, especially around that part of the funding for um, improvements in things like mental health uh, services or long-term care, what have you. So I think that design is good. And then there's a, a change in the, the increment by which the health spending will grow continuously over the future, which is probably a good thing to do too. I don't think the federal government looked like it was trying to overreach and step into provincial responsibility. And we didn't hear that. Uh, coming out of the the meeting from the premiers, which is another way that these meetings normally go bad. You know, the feds have said for a long time in advance of this that there are going to be some conditions. Well, you could have imagined a scenario where the meeting would have broken up yesterday with all kinds of hostility and the provinces saying nowhere near enough money and way too many, many strings attached. Uh, that didn't seem to me to be the picture that was coming out uh, of the meeting yesterday. It was uh, a kind of a quiet on strings, really. I mean, I'm sure there were some saying we don't really want them, but um, it, it didn't have the, there wasn't that combustibility that there could have been. So I think from the standpoint of did the federal government take itself out of the line of fire a little bit? Yes. Did it create a, a dynamic that will make for better health care? Potentially. Um, but a lot of that will be up to the provinces and these bilateral deals and the devil will be in some of the details about accountability for the spending in general, too. So at the end of the day, uh, for those who uh, believe the system is in deep trouble uh, and most of those first ministers, including the prime minister, have suggested in the last couple of days that it is or agreed with the critics who say it is. 
Um, for those who believe something had to happen and had to happen fast, can they take some pleasure out of what happened yesterday? Well, certainly it's better than if that meeting hadn't happened. Certainly it's better than if the federal government said the cupboard's bare, we don't have any money to help with this. Certainly it's better than if the if the nature of the relationship between the premiers and the prime minister had descended into uh, kind of an unworkable situation. I mean, there are different accounts of how the the, the pre-conversations worked to get to uh, a successful meeting yesterday, because as you and I both know, uh, they didn't just walk into that meeting yesterday and have the first conversation that, that had been had uh, about this. It was the culmination of months of uh, of bilateral conversations involving ministers talking about what it was that might work, what it was that might not work, that kind of thing. So, uh, the, you know, I, I'm always a, a bit of an optimist about these things, and and sometimes I regret it after the fact. But uh, this could have gone a lot worse, and um, the urgency of the problem is something that I seem to bring uh, all of these political officials together. Um. There was an awkward moment before the meeting started where, you know, there were there had been some kind of one-on-one meetings between the Prime Minister and, and some of the Premiers. And one of them that was much anticipated was with Danielle Smith, the Premier of Alberta, with a lot of people wondering how that would go, what their relationship was going to be like, you know, what they would talk about. Well, we still don't really know what they talked about when the cameras were out of the room. Uh, but we do know what it looked like. At least we do know what one particular moment looked like. And there's this, you know, very kind of awkward handshake. Now, it's dangerous to read too much into this stuff, but Trudeau's, uh, you know, he kind of knows what to do on a handshake. He Remember how he, he outmaneuvered Donald Trump in their first meeting and made Trump look, look kind of dorky on the on the handshake and that was a deliberate move now i don't know what if there was anything deliberate yesterday but it is you know she's got she's got kind of her her hand in an awkward position where when she's shaking his and he's got his thumb on top of her hand kind of forcing the awkward look to stay there for a while um but, you know, I'm sure that picture is going to be on, on, on the front pages of all the Alberta papers and people. It will was be super awkward. It was super, super awkward. And uh, but was it just a handshake? Like, I mean, we've all been we've all done handshakes. that didn't go quite right. You know, timing was off or what have you. It looked like she she, she had not before arriving at that moment decided whether she was going to shake his hand or not which it i don't know i mean i kind of feel like if you were if you were meeting vladimir putin you wouldn't shake his hand but if you're the premier of alberta and you're meeting with the prime minister of canada you're going to shake his hand suck it up like well, i don't understand the the mind space of a premier that gets themselves to a place where it's like, mm, I don't know, this could be a terrible thing for me to do to shake the hand of the prime minister who I'm going to meet to talk about. Maybe we can find some common ground. So for me, the hesitancy 
uh, was a little bit of a metaphor for the way that her political leadership as premier has transpired. She does something that's kind of aggressive, and then she pulls back from it over and over and over again. We've seen examples of this. It's almost as though she can't decide how much of that firebrand to be or not to be, either because she doesn't know who she is as a political personality or because she's looking over her shoulder at the polls in the province of New, uh, of uh, Alberta and wondering um, if I shake his hands too warmly, uh, are my are some of my base voters going to really turn on me uh, versus if I'm too um, indecisive about willingness to shake his hand, will other voters kind of look at me and say, you know, what are you really trying to convey? Um so I don't want to make more of it, and I know you don't, about political theater, but but these small momentary gestures, remember Trump and the Queen and Macron and uh, uh, Trump and Trump and Trudeau, there's a common thread there, right? Um, we watch them and they, you know, and, and I think maybe we can just relate to them because we kind of go, well, what would we do in that situation? And I don't know that many people who would imagine that if they were a premier, they wouldn't at least kind of buy into the handshake. Or they would have sent their their staff out in advance to say, don't have him extend his hand because I won't take it. Those are your two options. The, the third option is the one that she took, which is not really an option. It doesn't satisfy anybody. You're such a visual guy. You're such a TV guy. You're always looking for these little moments. I'm a chemistry guy. I think politics <laughs> is 90% chemistry. And uh, I'll agree with you on one thing. A lot, of, a lot more people make judgments about that relationship based on that picture than any meaningful content that ha has taken place between the two of them that picture will become a symbol of whatever that relationship you, is. You know, I do think a lot of people just generally would rather sort of say, look, they're going to say some things that are going to sound like they disagree with each other. And sometimes those are going to be a little bit harsh and more tendentious than we might like them. But we actually want them to try to work together. That is kind of the role. And I know that there are hard partisans at opposite ends of the spectrum who don't want that. Um, who think that any of that kind of conversation is a compromise that's not in their interest. But most people actually want them to be able to have a conversation and figure out, okay, what about this energy transition? What's the right way to do it? Um, you got an idea that's better than my idea? Let's hear it. Um, hopefully that conversation happened yesterday. Okay. We're going to take, uh, we're going to take our break and then we're going to come back with our last topic for the day. And it, uh, it's about the CBC. So stay tuned. Be right back. And welcome back. You're listening to uh, Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth on the bridge on Sirius XM Channel 167 Canada Talks or on your favorite podcast platform. And because this is Wednesday, you can also view us on our YouTube channel and you can get the link at my uh, Twitter or Instagram site. It's free, so just uh, go for it. Um, okay, I, as you know, Bruce, I've uh, resisted talking about the CBC in any meaningful way, um, partly because you know, I was there for 50 years, 
People know I believe in public broadcasting. I believe in the idea of the CBC. I may have my differences about how certain things are done. Always have had, and, and, and fortunately, for the most of the time I was at the CBC, you were encouraged to raise those concerns and, and, and have them out and open, uh, which, which I did and many others did. Um, the CBC president of today, Catherine Tate, uh, gave an interview uh, yesterday, at least it was published yesterday, with the Globe and Mail, where she uh, announced, uh, she, she projected that, in fact, the CBC, both radio and television, were going to go fully digital. She had a kind of time frame of at least another decade before that could happen. But that's not a shock or a surprise to anybody. That is kind of the way things are going when the... Um, when the ability to be fully digital to all Canadians is out there. I mean, that's part of the mandate of the CBC uh, from the Parliament of Canada is that CBC has to be um, available to all Canadians, no matter where they live. So that that's a challenge right now on the digital side, but the whole idea of going fully digital and streaming and all that stuff is clearly the direction in which the television industry and the radio industry is going. Um, I guess it would have helped if she'd, you know, told the staff that she was going to do this before she gave an interview to the Globe and Mail. My understanding is it came as a bit of a shock to a lot of people. Um, just the timing of it, but not the idea of it. I don't have a problem that much with that. I, I mean, I have a problem with not advising your thousands of employees the direction you're going in, but nevertheless... That's what happened there. But she went an extra mile. The Globe reporter asked her about the plans from the Conservative Party, on Pierre Polyev in particular, to uh, begin a defunding process of the CBC. And she went off on Polyev, basically said either there was just a fundraising ploy and she was critical. Um, of the uh, leader of the opposition and and the opposition party of Canada. Now, I think that was a mistake. I I don't think you should um, that she should ever have put her employees and particularly her her uh, journalists in the position of working for a corporation where the the president is taking on one of the political parties. Now, this comes at a time when. Uh, the government of the day is trying to make a decision on, on on the leadership of the CBC and whether or not the current president should be reappointed or extended or replaced. Um, I, I, I can see this being a potential problem there, no matter which direction they go in. But I, I thought that was over the line. And, um, and so I've been asked, by a number of people, how I felt. And I said, well, I'll think about it, and I might say something on today's podcast. So there it is. That's that's my feeling about it. What? Uh, well, I what think the think? CBC is a great idea. I think it's been a poorly run organization for a number of years. I don't, you know, my criticisms of it aren't um, the same as Pierre Polyev's criticisms of it. I don't think the whole uh, idea that it's kind of biased against uh uh, conservative Canada is anywhere near as true as he wants to make it out to be. Um, my problems with it are I just don't really know 
um, what sort of kind of discipline it holds itself to for the decisions that it makes. It feels to me like it meanders towards uh, ideas that are not are not very well formed. A good example is I think you you probably gave the organization a couple of years notice that you were departing the national and they had a lot of time to come up with an alternative um, solution if they wanted to change that program. And they've, as near as I can tell, they've taken what was a flagship uh, news brand um, and platform and, and turned it into something much less successful than it, than it was and that it needs to be for the country. So I've seen a lot of problems with uh, the way that the CBC has kind of handled the change in the technological and the political landscape over time. But my specific concern, um, to your point about what um, the president of the CBC said is is really about uh, if you're going to step into the communications uh, marketplace right now, uh, you need to be better prepared. You need to know what it is that you should say and how you should say it. And that interview to me, followed by what looked like a makeup interview that was a CBC story on their website today, uh, just looked like uh, kind of unplanned and then a cleanup on aisle five sort of situation. Um, and there were two things that stood out for me. One is I, I couldn't agree with you more that it is. I, I do think it's her job to say yeah, there are people who have criticisms of the CBC and that's fine. We live in a democracy and people pay for the service and they're entitled to have those opinions. Here's what I want everybody to know about what we're trying to do. That's very different from saying the leader of the conservative party is trying to raise money by crushing our reputation, and I don't like it. She should never go there uh, for all kinds of reasons. It's not her role. It's not going to be persuasive with people. It's not a way to rally the organization. It is a way to, as it did, invite another round of fundraising where uh, Pierre Polyev is using her interview as of last night to, uh, to raise even more money and to double down on his uh, intent to defund the CBC. So she she engaged the argument in the most um, you know, inartful is probably the nicest word I could use to describe uh, what she did. And I think it was uh, I think it was singularly unhelpful for the organization and for the important discussion about the role of the CBC. In the course of the conversation, she talked about the inevitability of being more of a digital first organization, but she managed to um, have to kind of redo what she said so that she started with the point of, we're not going to leave people who only get terrestrial uh, services behind. Easy enough to have reversed the order in the Globe and Mail piece and not to have to redo it again. And the other thing that sort of struck me as quite odd is that she uh, offered a comment or two about whether the CBC should be allowed to uh, publish sponsored content, which is essentially content produced by advertisers uh, that sits on the CBC platform. And she, rather than make a case for why the CBC should be able to do that, she made a case for why it shouldn't be discussed in the context of some sort of Senate amendment. And I think it's a legitimate debate. I don't know where I come down on it, but I'm kind of leaning against the idea of sponsored content on the CBC, and I'm not against sponsored content on other platforms. But I think if, if the CBC president is going to occasionally step into the public freight, um, yesterday was a, a, a masterclass example in how not to do it. 
Uh, yep. <laughs> you and I would have no differences on uh, on that point. Um, and there is this attempt of cleaning up on aisle five. No doubt about uh, that. How that will go, I don't know. Uh, you know, you can go back a number of presidents with the CBC and discover that the relationship between the head office and the executive, the senior executive branch of the CBC and the employees of the CBC has not been good. And you can go back a fair number of years for that. Um, back times into the 90s where the employees feel that they've been let down, they've been slashed and burned, you know, they've been used as the, uh, you know, the, the, the whipping boy, whatever you want to call it, uh, by management and by governments, uh, successive governments, not just uh, conservative, but liberal governments as well in terms of, uh, of the cuts, morale, has been at different times at very low points. And it's sad for somebody who spent the majority of their life there to witness this. There are some incredibly good people at the CBC, some brilliant uh, producers, editors, documentary people, journalists, news people, all of that. Um, but they have, been, they have been hurt by the way the place has been run at different times. That's not unusual for, I guess, any big corporation. Um, have their ups and downs, but lately there have been a lot more downs than ups, and uh, and the place needs something uh, that they don't appear to be getting right now, uh, and that's sad, and I, that's uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, all right, thank you, sir. Um, what is it today? Tennis, golf, beach walking, hiking, fishing, surfing. Yeah, a bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, don't harm yourself out there. No, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's just virtual. It's from somewhere other than my regular <laughs> office, as you know. We're all so. jealous. We hope you have a good time and a safe time. Um, and we'll talk to you on Friday uh, when uh, Bruce and Chantel will be here for good talk. Uh, tomorrow it is uh, your turn, so your uh, cards and letters are more than welcome. Uh, the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com, Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. Try and get it in uh, during the daytime today on Wednesday, if possible. Um, and the random renter will be by. So, the, so just a second, yes, not so. cards and letters then, right? Because cards and letters imply some right. physical yeah. thing through the post, and that's not going to happen today. All exactly. Right. Yeah, no, email would be better. There's no question if you if you want a chance at uh, having it on the program. The ranter will be by. The ranter starting the first of three rants on the three uh, main national political leaders tomorrow, which should be uh, which should be interesting. I look forward he's, to that. That'll he's so fun. jealous of uh, of you and Chantel getting the kind of doing the politics. So he wants to. He wants to enter into that fray. We'll we'll see how he does. You know, I mean, what does he know? We can have a rant off. (laughs) A rant off. All right, buddy. You take care. Take it easy. And uh, we'll see you on Friday. And to all of you out there, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours. (music) 